0: I'm going to start off today and uh, talking about uh, just something that happened uh, to me. Oops, I'm getting ahead of myself, man. How did that? Well, as you can see, it's about a bicycle. Um, this, this is the seat on my bike. Uh, it should be on my bike, but it's not. And something happened this, uh, was it this last week? Yeah, it's within the last week. Linda and I like to ride this one trail. It's um, Robert's Pass. It's out in London, or it's in uh, West Jeff, and then goes all the way out to London. It's about seven miles, pretty straight, but covered with a lot of trees most of the way. And so we were riding out there, and on the way back, just on the way back, um, my seat would do one of these, and, and then, you know, rather than doing what probably some logical person would do and get the proper tool out. I just went, yanked it, and I went, like that. Well, and then this kept going on for the next mile, rrr, rrr, and I would just wrestle it back. And, uh, well, what happened was I wore the teeth out on the little micro-adjustments, as they call them, and for those of you guys that are here, that's, this is what it is. And it just has these little adjustments right for the seat. The seat fits on that thing. And anyway, I was able to, uh, yesterday, we were taking care of some things. And I called um, I called the, uh, there's a bike shop in Grove City, uh, which we have affectionately call Grove Tucky. Uh, our in-laws live there. I feel like I can call it that. They call it that. And, um, and so, uh, the, they're very helpful calling this bike shop. And they said, Oh, yeah, you know, uh, so I wasn't sure, like, is the part on top? Can I just replace it? And, or do I need to do the whole post? And in my case, I have to do the whole post, which ends up being like $22 or something. But the thing was, they were a little flabbergasted. They were like, you know, uh, are you sure it's broken? Because we never have those break. And I said, well, I guess you've never dealt with me. You know, because clearly the teeth on it, you can see it, it won't grip anything, you know, and maybe it has to do with my, you know, over 200 pounds sitting on the seat. I don't really know. But, so, the, and the reason I bring this up is because that ride, when I didn't have that stability, uh, which ended up having to ride six miles on an unstable bike seat coming back, um, uh, was so stressful because you're sitting there just waiting for something to happen, You know? And so when you don't have that stability, it just breeds stress in the bike right here. But this truth that we're going to talk about today in the scriptures that's surrounding the, the helmet of salvation, it is really meant to give us stability, okay? When life is, is very difficult, when things are going crazy all around us, this truth surrounding the helmet of salvation is meant to bring stability to allow us to help uh, continue in the battle because this whole section of scripture we've been going through in Ephesians chapter six verses ten to twenty is all about the spiritual battle, and our enemy Satan loves to just um, to to get us to doubt things about God, the truth of God, and as you can think about the helmet of salvation covers the helmet covers your head on a soldier, right? And I think for the Christian, this is really getting at our mind okay, and we need to protect our mind, and one of the ways uh, that we're going to see here that we can protect our mind has to do with knowing that as a Christian, we have a sure hope, okay, and a sure hope will help you keep a cool head in the battle, all right? So let's pray together. Let's ask for God to bless our time here in the Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, we want to acknowledge, Lord, before you that we need you. We need you lord there's a lot happening in our lives there's people have experienced a loss of loved one uh people who at this time of year, I know in our church are thinking back to to their own loved ones that have ha- have uh, gone on to be with you in years past and it's very hard and I pray Lord, we pray, Lord, for your comfort uh, for your people here and Lord, we also just uh we need you, Lord, I think about that that little him Lord, we need you every hour, and so Lord uh, we we come to you this morning, uh, some of us weary from the battle, some of us just barely making it in here uh, and and Lord we just want to tell you that we need you and we love Lord to hear from you this morning uh, Lord, thank you Lord, for the fellowship that we have in you and with each other that we can also encourage each other this morning before we leave uh, but Lord, we just pray. Help our hearts, Lord, to hear your heart this morning through the Word of God. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so if you would, as our tradition, would you please stand, if you're able to, if you can't, that's fine, but stand on up. I'm going to read the passage again. Many of you could probably maybe quote it by now. We've gone over this so many times. I won't pass the mic around, but... Anyway, uh, but let's listen to the passage one more time here. Ephesians six ten to 20 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to... that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is, this is the word of God. Please have a seat. We've gone through these various parts of the armor, like a soldier, right? It's, there's a connection with the Roman soldier and these different pieces of the armor. And we've yet to get to the offensive weapon coming up here uh, of the sword, Uh, which is the Word of God, and we'll get to that uh, next week. Um, But we need all the pieces of the armor, as that passage tells us. Every piece is necessary, and this, the helmet of salvation, is no different, okay? Now, um, I want to talk about, as, as kind of a stepping stone, before we can actually break down what the helmet of salvation is, we need to understand something about how the Bible talks about salvation. Uh, At least in the New Testament, I can't think of three different ways the Bible talks about salvation. And those of you that like grammar, um, I don't know what's wrong with you, but those of you that like grammar, no, I'm just teasing, uh, or or our uh, uh, language arts people, uh, you're going to like this because this has to do with the tense of verbs, Okay, and so some of you, like if you're like me, you're like, "Oh my, the tense." But here's the thing: when you read your Bible, and this is this is a good skill to remember, the tense of the verb is important. And and, you know, usually we have we have good English versions of the Bible, so the tenses they've carried over, you know, pretty well. I mean, there's some things that we can definitely learn if we know Greek. But I'm just saying that in this case, when you read about salvation in the Bible, you're going to come across three different aspects or tenses uh, of salvation. And so, let's take a look here. Uh, In in the tenses of salvation, there's an aspect of the past tense when it talks about salvation. And where we can, you know, this idea of like, we have been saved, right, Uh, indicates something that happened in the past. And so, there's an aspect of, of a Christian salvation that is in the past, okay, And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is just a great place to go to talk about salvation when it comes to our past as believers. It says, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved. It's in the past. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how we entered into this salvation in the past is by faith, right? Um, And it says, and this not from your own doing, It's the gift of God. So this salvation that we encountered in the past comes from God, not from us. It's outside ourselves. And then he says, just to emphasize that last point, that it's not from us, he says, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So nobody's going to be able to stand at the pearly gates, as they say, and say, I did it my way. I made it in on my own way. You know, no. It's God's way or no way. Okay, there's only one way. So, but my point here is this: this happened in the past in this in this instance, so when I think back to myself um, back somewhere between autumn and winter, in this case winter quarter, Ohio State was on quarters, then I put my faith in Christ somewhere in that time frame, and then I expressed my faith in Christ uh, at some point then later that year. Through baptism, just to, you know obeying the Lord in baptism, which which is a good thing to do. If you haven't done that, uh, as my son kind of brought that up, and when we talk about making disciples last week, just a good thing to pursue that. We, you know, anybody that wants to get baptized that has not been baptized, we would love to enable you to obey the Lord in that, and we will do that. Okay, uh, we don't, you know, we will make every provision. You know, here in COVID nineteen, uh, we'll we'll fill that baptismal back up there which some of you probably do not even know it's there, but it's on the other side of that divider. So anyway, um, that happened to me. I, I received the Lord at that point in time in the past, right? So if you're a believer, at some point, you've done that. Now, you may not be able to point to the day and the hour, but, or maybe a time period, all right? But at some point, you crossed the line of faith, I'll say. You, you believed, okay? And that's, that's a that's the past aspect of salvation. Every true Christian uh, has received the Lord and put their faith in Him and, and is, uh, was saved, the past. Okay, So that's the one aspect, first aspect of salvation. And then the next tense that would be good to talk about is the present tense. There are verses in the Scriptures that speak of salvation from an ongoing type of aspect. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 18 is a good example of that. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now listen, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That being saved, that's a that's an ongoing thing right it's a present ongoing thing we are being saved so there's some kind of an aspect of between the time that I received the Lord and I was saved now now I am being saved there's a process going on in my life as a believer in every believer and that process is a is a Bible word, I say that because we don't use it in a lot of modern language today, called sanctification. That word simply just has a couple of different aspects of it too, but one of it is to be made holy or set apart, okay? And and so, in this aspect of the sanctification I'm talking about is that we are, be, we are being made more like Christ every day as we yield to the Spirit of God. Uh, as one guy Uh, mentioned this, uh, Tim Challies, he says it this way. Sanctification is a process that is ongoing in the lives of believers. The Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation and begins to affect in our lives, uh, change in our lives so that we become more and more conformed to the image of holiness modeled in Christ. And as we allow the Spirit to lead and guide us, we grow in grace. All right. Now, I certainly hope that if you're a believer in Christ, you could look back in time um, since you've been a believer, and you've seen some progress in your faith. You've seen growth in grace. You've seen change, uh, and and some of it's slow. Some of it might be dramatic. Uh, it just depends. Um, I feel like at times I've had growth spurts, and then just kind of steady as she goes, and then a growth spurt. You know, that's. I think probably pretty common. Um, And so we got to realize there is this present reality of our salvation, right? That we are continuing, continuing to grow and become more Christ-like or holy. That's the process of this, this ongoing aspect of our salvation, okay? So there's a starting point, and then there's this time in between. And then we get to, well, you guessed it. The future tense of this idea, this concept of salvation, where, you know, if if the present tense, right, was was going to be, uh, as we talk about that, um, I am being saved, now this one says we shall be saved. It's a future thing. We shall be saved, okay? Where do we get this from? Well, one of the verses where this tense occurs for salvation is in Romans 5, 9. It says this, since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Now that justification by his blood happens at that past point when you first believe. You're justified before God. He says, much more, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So that that future aspect, we shall, shall we be saved or we shall be saved. So there's a future component. There's something going to come that will kind of complete our salvation, okay? It's, gonna, it's like coming to a, a culmination, okay? So we believe, right, in the past, and now we're living our lives out, hopefully submitted to the Spirit of God. We're growing in Christ. We're becoming more like Christ. He uses trials in our lives. He uses other believers. He uses the Word of God, all the means of growth, until the Lord's return And the scripture says, when we see him, what? We shall be like him. And I think that means in his character, the job will be complete when we see him. Nobody's gonna be super sanctified until Christ comes back. Nobody's ever gonna be, say that they're perfectly made holy in their conduct until Christ comes back. If somebody says they got that down, they're a bold-faced liar or deceived, one of the two, okay? We are in process in Philippians 1, Says uh, it will on the on the day Christ returns we will be uh, it'll be complete okay so we're in a process but it's gonna in the future we're headed towards something in the future when Christ is gonna come back for his church okay that's our future as believers and uh, let me just say again give you another kind of Bible word Um, this is not a word we use too much but again sometimes you encounter these words in your Bible and you need to. Check them out. And so that word, um, there's a word that's called glorification, our future glorification, okay? Here's what that means. Uh, again, I'm going to use Tim Challies his uh, little uh, ex- explanation of this. It says, glorification is a future work of God in which the dead will be raised and in new bodies will be ushered finally into the kingdom of heaven, like believers, right? Our bodies as believers will be freed from all of sin's corruption. Can you imagine this? We have never known a day without sin and its effect on our lives. We've never known it. We don't even know what relationships are like without sin. We don't know what the world looks like. I mean, I mean, uh, God's creation is a beautiful thing, but it has been affected by sin. I can't imagine how much greater it looks without the effect of sin, okay? And and so this aspect of glorification is is, uh, we will be glorified. We'll have glorified bodies. We'll live in a world that's not stained by sin, right? Which means no more sadness, no more dying, no more hunger. None of that, okay? That's where we're headed, okay? Now, why are we talking about these three tenses of salvation? And how does this relate to the helmet of salvation? Well, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Now, so what is the helmet of salvation? Now, I think the key to this is really, because really, I mean, this is basically I'm preaching on a phrase here. I mean, (laughs) you know, and so you have to kind of, I kind of looked around in Scripture to see, is this used somewhere else? And yes, there is somewhere where this type of phrase is used, and so I think it, I think, and it's written by Paul also. So I think it gives us a little insight as to what this helmet of salvation is. First Thessalonians chapter five verse eight, which says, "Let me get a drink here." First Thessalonians five eight says, "But since we belong to the day, let us be sober." having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And now look at the next phrase. And for a helmet, what? The hope of salvation. Isn't that interesting? So there, Paul, the same writer here in First Thessalonians letter, you know, he wrote also Ephesians that we're reading here in chapter six about the the, uh, the armor of God. Here in Thessalonians, he says, this helmet is a hope of salvation. And that's why I really think that the helmet of salvation Ephesians 6 really is that hope of salvation mentioned there in 1 Thessalonians. So that ties it into the future aspect of our salvation, hope, future, hope in a future. Okay, this is what it is. Now, how does this work? Well, I think you need to realize first and foremost that Christian hope is not the same as wishing, Okay. Now, let me give you an example of wishing. So wishing would be, uh, like, for example, me. I was wishing that here a couple weeks ago that my Cincinnati Reds would beat the Cleveland Indians in the Ohio Cup series. Now, I'm a baseball fan. Uh, My father-in-law, he is a big Indians fan, right? And so I was really wishing that I could text him or call him or even in person rub it in his face. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. In fact, one of the games, the Reds lost 13 to nothing. So bad. Hey, man. <laughs> Wait a minute. Usher, bounce that guy. <laughs> but, you know, and so I was wishing for something. I was hoping. I wasn't sure it was going to happen, right? And it certainly didn't. In fact, the next time I saw my father-in-law, he made sure that I knew how this Ohio Cup has played out for the last X number of years and that the Indians were way on top of the winning category. So he let me have it, okay? So I just want to get you, I'm trying to get you, I, I hold on to that, what, what wishing is. Now, what is hope? What is Christian hope? And I heard this story, and I just thought, yeah, this is a good example of what Christian hope is, the idea of that kind of hope. So here it is. So imagine there's a, there's a, a single guy out with his friends, and they're at a restaurant. They're hanging out, just having a great time. And uh, over in the corner somewhere, he sees this young lady, right? And it looks like, you know, they're kind of looking at each other at the same time. You know, one of these, you know, they're kind of looking at the same time. And then the guy who's with his buddies, they're saying, hey, I think she might like you. You should go over and talk to her, you know? He says, okay. So he finally gets up the gumption to go over and, of course, says the original line, I don't usually do this, but, and then he says, um, you know, were you looking at me when I was looking at you? Or do you, And then he said, do, do I know you? And before he could say anything else, she said, you remind me of my first husband. And then, and before he could say anything else, she, he said, well, how many husbands have you had? And she said, none yet that's hope she was sure he's the dude he's the one okay isn't that isn't that interesting you know i you know you remind me of my first husband because you are going to be him you know what i mean that's that is like certainty isn't it okay now that's just a silly example but that's the idea of christian hope it's a certainty it's not like I wish it's going to happen the way it's said in the Bible. No, it's a certainty. It's a certain future, okay? You got to get that. Because this idea of the helmet of salvation or the hope of our salvation, as it says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, is this idea that our protection as we walk in this world stained by sin, part of our protection is to know we have a certain future to know how it's going to end, okay? Because if you know how it's going to end, it really helps you endure while you're in the now, which can really stink, to say it mildly, right? And so, so we've got to realize this aspect, um, you know, because you go back to my little bicycle illustration with this seat. It was very stressful. And I know, hey, you know, of all the things that could be stressful about riding the bike with a with a really... Sucky seat wasn't that bad, okay? But I'm just saying, uh, it was stressful. But if, if we don't have uh, our hope sure, like it should be as Christians, if we're not secure in that hope, it's going to be stressful, even more stressful as we go through this life here, okay? Okay, so we have to realize that the Lord has, as part of our armor, this certain future, this glorification where we will be with Him forever. He's going to raise our bodies from the dead as believers. We'll get a new body, all of that. That is going to happen. Okay? And that will affect, if we keep it in sight, it will affect how we live right now. You see that? It really will. But when we lose sight of that, when we forget that, when that kind of goes to the background, we can get really, really, our thoughts can just go crazy. Out of control. Lack of faith. You know, it, it's okay to struggle and be real with God, but I'm saying what we need to do, if that's the case, is realize what our hope is in. Right? What our hope is really in. Because let me tell you what, if our hope is anchored in this life, we, we're going to be sorely disappointed. Okay? We will. We will. And so. That's why I think this piece of armor is so critical for us. Now, I wanted to just share a few things with uh, us here just about the Christian's hope and that it's certain. And there's a few points just to look at. How do we know this is so, this hope, this, uh, this future hope of the believer in glory with Christ in heaven forever uh, and to be resurrected and all these things is, is a sure thing? Well, the first thing is, is this, that God's word promises it, okay? Okay, God's Word promises it. And I'm just going to give you one, one simple promise. And by the way, this should, be, this should be, I think, in every Christian's arsenal of verses that you, you, you live out of, this promise here. And I remember somebody telling me this promise as soon as I put my faith in Christ. They were saying, you know what? The devil's going to come along, and he's going to try to get you to doubt that what you did right there was real. That you really put your faith in Christ. He's going to get you to try to doubt that. Here's what I want you to do, they told me. And I've, I've been camping out on this ever since. He said, you need to think about the promise of John 1.12. John 1.12. It says, but to all who did receive him, that means who received Christ, who believed, who believed in his name, in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become. Children of God. That's present tense, to become children of God, okay? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. And we're talking about a lot about rights today. This is the right of every believer is you are a child of God, and with that comes an inheritance, okay? It's a sure thing, and God says it so. If you have received Christ, you believed in his name, you are, present tense, a child of God. Nothing can take that away, okay? That's just one of the many promises that um, tells us that we have a certain hope. All right, now, how about the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection secured our salvation, secured our future, Okay? So, here, 1 Peter chapter 1. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a year ago, we actually went through this book of the Bible. This book of the Bible was written to persecuted Christians scattered throughout. All right? And these are some of the opening words that Peter writes to those believers who are enduring persecution. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There we go, that word hope again. A living hope. Then he says, where does this living hope come from? He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So how is this living hope experienced? right? Well, God causes us to be born again, and then he brings us into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then it tells us about the future. It says, "To, to an inheritance that is, now listen, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know, have you ever made a reservation somewhere to finally go up to the counter on that day? And, and they say, well, I'm sorry, they don't have, we don't have a record of your reservation here, right? And then, and then you know, your, your stack's about ready to blow, right? Because uh, your, your family's out there, and the kids are in the car, and they're pulling each other's hair out. They've been traveling for 12 hours, and they don't have a reservation for us, right? Not going to happen from heaven. It says that God has made a reservation and it is going to be kept, and it's for you, reserved in heaven for you. It's imperishable. Nothing can uh, erase that reservation or delete it from their records, okay? And now, I love this too. It says, not only is it kept in heaven for you, but in verse 5 it says, in 1 Peter 1, who, meaning you, Christian, who, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's this future salvation thing, a salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time. In this verse here, God is telling us that Jesus' death and resurrection has made this reservation for every believer, and by God's power, you're being kept. You're being kept in his love. And you're going to be carried along until that future salvation culmination. Isn't it good to know that God's got you all the way? despite our doubts along the way? A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But Jesus' death and resurrection has secured that reservation. Our future is secure. Our hope is just that. It's certain. That's what Christian hope is. It's a certainty. Now, the other aspect of this um, that the Christian's hope is certain is that the Holy Spirit actually confirms that within us, that we are children of God. Um, In in Romans chapter 8, it says, in verses 16 and 17, listen to what it says. It says... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit, small s, our spirit, that we are children of God. In other words, you know, as I go along in my faith, as I have the Spirit within me, it says that He gives, he gives witness to my spirit or kind of confirms that I'm His, that I'm one of God's kids, that I'm truly a believer. There's a confidence that comes from the Spirit of God. And then it says, in verse 17, and if we are children, because it says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So, these are all just a few points that anchor us on the fact that a Christian's hope is something that is certain, okay? You don't have to question your future in the end. I'm talking about the the end of time as we know. Our future is secure in Christ if you know him. And this is really the type of thing that gives believers a... Supernatural peace, when they're facing death, um, is this confidence, not in what they've done, but what, in, what, what Christ has secured for them, okay? Now, I just thought it would be good to not only kind of talk about these things that in the scriptures that give us this idea of what makes a Christian's hope so certain, promises of God, Jesus' death and resurrection, and the Spirit of God in us, but also what difference does that make? Well, I ran across something that I thought was interesting. Uh, I'll share it with you, and then we will uh, close with a couple of verses. But um, there there was a study that was done, uh, and... This study was done in which one group of Israeli soldiers was told they would go on a march, but were not told if or when the march would eventually stop. Another group was told the length of the march, and they knew there was going to be an end. So two groups, okay? Both groups... Uh, were tested for stress response. I don't know how they did that, but they tested to see how they're responding to the stress of this long march. Okay. Now, again, they all, mar- they all, both groups were marching the same distance. It's just that one one group didn't know if and when it was going to end. Right. So, um, those who did not know whether or when the march would end registered a much higher level of stress. No surprise there, right? Well, why? Because they don't have any hope. They don't know if this is ever going to stop. Are they going to march us till we die out here? Right? Uh, They felt helpless, wondering if they would ever be allowed to rest. And I think there's something for us to take away here as believers, right? We got stuff going on in our lives right now. Sure, that are very difficult, different scenarios, but difficult, right? Um, but as a Christian, I know that's going to end someday. Okay, you know, I'm you or I might. We don't know how long we're going to live. We might live, you know, eighty something years. We don't really. We might live, you know, I, I'm, I'm fifty six. You know, I don't know how many years I got left. Don't really know. But I do know whatever I'm going through here now on this earth is going to end, and I know what's happening after that. So when we know that and we have that certainty, it really does help us endure, okay? It's almost like, you know, if you can keep the finish line in sight. <laughs> I was a terrible runner in school. I, I, I don't, they put me on these things. I, I like to jump, so I like the long jump, Okay. Now, I had to give that up when I went into high school because um, track was at the same time baseball was going, so I, had to, I went with the baseball. But, um, but they put me on these. Uh, at the time, it was the mile relay. Now, it would be like the 1,400, I think, whatever it is. Is that right, 1,400? I don't know. Four times around the track. 1,600, that's it, 1,600, 400 around, right? So they, you know, and they put me on And by the time you get halfway around the track, man, your legs are dying. I mean, I just, I just feel like giving up. The only thing that would keep me going is knowing I only had, in my case, 220 yards more to go, knowing that the finish line was actually there. And as believers, we have to keep that finish line, that, that sure hope, our future with the Lord in view. If we do, it's going to help us endure. I've got two verses for you here that relate to this, okay? Okay. Uh, so this this message is really more of something to say, you know what? We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that this helmet of salvation needs to be put on because it's re- it is protecting us from just focusing in on now. And if we're focusing in on just now, we can get so discouraged and really want to throw in the towel at times. Hey, I've not been far from that before. It's challenging. And so we have to, as believers, as a part of our armor, put on the helmet of salvation, which is the hope of salvation, which is our certain future. Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8, 18. Let me put my glasses here. Wrestle around a button. <laughs> so you hate it when that happens. Okay. All right. Romans eight eighteen. Well, you know. By the way, you know. It, well, maybe you don't. Romans eight is probably one of the. It, it's like, it's like up there in chapters of the Bible. Packed with so many truths that we, we all need to know in I mean the whole Bible, but I'm just saying this is this is most scholars would say Romans eight is like the the pinnacle of the scriptures. Romans eight eighteen says, For if I for I consider, see Apostle Paul, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Isn't that what we're doing we are kind of trying to say we need to stop just focusing in on the present time? Right? So he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That glory is the future. Remember, we talked about the glorification, right? He's saying, you know what? What we're enduring right now, this bit of suffering that we might encounter now is nothing compared to the wonderful glory that we will experience in the future kingdom. That's what he's saying. As he goes on... um. He says, worth comparing for the glory that is to be revealed to us. I better stop there and go to the Second Corinthians verse. But that one there, again, he's trying to say, stop being so presently minded. And we need to keep the future in view. All right, so Second Corinthians chapter 4, again, the Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians four seventeen says, actually, we'll go back up to 16. 2 Corinthians four sixteen. So we do not lose heart. Stop. You ever feel like giving up? I have. You know how many times in my mind, probably over the 25 years, I've probably in my mind written my resignation? Just because I'm like, you know what? I'm not, is anything, you know, like I mean, in myself, it was all about me. Well, it has nothing to do with other people. You know, it was like, you know, you just struggle. You're like, is, am, I, am I doing the right thing? Is it having an impact? Is it, you know, all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, but he's saying, Paul's saying, so we do not lose heart. And when I read things like that, I say, I better listen up because I know I felt like losing heart. And if everybody's honest, they have too, as believers, okay? So he says, though our, out, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So he's saying, all hell might be breaking loose around me. My body might be falling apart, but something is going on here in my inner man, if you will, my inner person, that is renewing me spiritually every day. First of all, that tells me we all need renewed as believers, and it tells me, it tells me that I need that every day. <laughs> so so, man, I think before our feet hit the floor, we probably say, Lord, renew me. Help me to have the right perspective. And I really think his answer to how he's renewed comes in the next sentence. Listen to what he says. He says, remember what he said, it's being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction. Okay, he's not talking about a hangnail here, okay? He's been beat. He's been beat countless times, okay? (laughs) You know, if you go back up to verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way. We are crushed, it says. It says we are afflicted every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Hey, when he says light momentary afflictions, he's not talking about little things. But what he is saying is kind of like what he said in Romans 8. He is saying to us, he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us. You get that? That's a a purposeful phrase, isn't it? This stuff that we go through, these afflictions, these sufferings, these difficulty is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, he says, verse 18, not to the things that are seen. The things that are seen is the now and the material. He says, And so we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, right? But the things that are unseen are eternal. So really, again, what is the key then for us to be able to endure the onslaught of our enemy, Satan, trying to discourage us, trying to get us to throw in the towel, uh, and to continue to be faithful, trying to get us to not be faithful to Christ, to live for him, to obey him, to serve him all our days. What is, how can we guard against his onslaught to throw in the towel? Well, we can do this by saying, keep our future hope ahead of us. Fixed on that. Fixed on that. That's what he's saying. He's saying, the stuff that we're going through now is, is nothing good compared to what we will experience in glory. He says, now that's... A, We're going to have to take that on faith, aren't we? Because we've not seen glory. (laughs) We've, We've not been there. You hear? So this is faith. But again, it's a hope. It's a sure thing, okay? And so I think what the Lord would have us do is just to every day say, Lord, help me to keep that eternal perspective. Help me to keep my eyes focused in on the future and live for the things that last, not the things that are temporary. This stuff's going away someday. Everything we see here, I mean, I, I'm not being too but this thing, because what we got here is, is flawed. It will be burned up. It will be replaced with a new heavens and a new earth. Okay? Let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Some of us weary from the battle. Some of us barely making it here today, probably. Um, But Lord, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the reminder that our hope as Christians is not wishful thinking. It is a certainty. That our hope is secure in Christ. What Jesus His death and resurrection has secured it. Your word promises it. The Spirit of God within us confirms that we are children of God and therefore heirs. We have an inheritance coming because of what Christ has done. We didn't earn it, but we will receive it. Thank you, Lord, that we can put our hope in that. Lord, help us to endure the difficulties we have here, knowing that you have a purpose in those. You are preparing us for an eternal way of glory, it says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.